As the Great War, or World War I as it was eventually called, broke out in the summer of 1914, it was a time for disillusionment among Europeans. Through a period of relative peace in the previous century, tenuous international alliances broke down with the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand in Sarajevo. The subsequent drive to war seemed like a frenzied mass homicide and found opposition in a cultural movement which would encompass all the arts, while firmly describing itself as anti-art. It used the qualities of irrationality, chaos, and non-sequitur juxtaposition as a mirror to reflect the futility and the mindlessness of the misnamed War to End All Wars. This movement would spread across Europe and to North America, inspiring a lasting cultural legacy and was known by the appropriately nonsensical name, Data. The Dilettante, a Ferrochrome podcast. The beginning of the Data movement can be hard to nail down, but is generally agreed to have had its gestation in Zurich, Switzerland, with the arrival of Romanian poet and performance artist Tristan Zara. Bringing with him avant-garde sensibilities which were already in Eastern Europe, the monocle-wearing Zara helped produce avant-garde performance pieces at Zurich's Cabaret Voltaire in 1916, which fomented the gathering of other like minds and future luminaries, such as Hugo Ball, Hans Arp, Sophie Taubert, and Zara's fellow Romanian Marcel Janko. As more people came on, the scene soon manifested the name Data. It was supposedly supplied by Berlin poet and psychoanalyst Richard Holsenbeck, who it is said randomly thrust a knife into a dictionary, coming up with the French colloquialism data, which referred to a child's rocking horse. Whether this is factual or not is neither here nor there, as the history of data would be rife with myths and false attributions, as rigid adherence to truth was seen as part of the bourgeoisie rationalism which started the war in the first place. Like any good meme, it spread with the considerable efforts of Tristan Zara to other cities, most notably Paris and New York. Zara was publishing manifestos with oblique proclamations such as, I hate common sense, data means nothing, I am also against principles. While no one was mistaking the data manifestos for a rational philosophy, their very incoherence did give one a sense of peeking behind the bourgeoisie curtain of order, which had purported to foment civility and maintain safety, and yet had done the exact opposite with war. If one looked behind this facade, was the chaos of data what lurked behind? Soon Zara, with the help of others, such as André Breton and Guillaume Apollinaire, published the magazine Data, which helped spread the word to other cities. Once the war ended in 1918, expats residing in Zurich returned home, presumably to seed data satellite movements in their own locales. Some artists who were residing in New York, such as Parisians Marcel Duchamp and Francis Picabia, and the American artist and photographer Man Ray, made the move back to Paris. With so many congregating in Paris post-war, it became the de facto center of Dadaism in the 1920s. 
1921, the first formal debut of data art was at the Salon des Independents. There was also a production of Tristan Zara's data as play, The Gas Heart. In the cultural hotbed that was Paris in the Annes Follets of the 1920s, data coexisted with many luminaries who, while strictly speaking, weren't part of the movement, still had close associations with its adherents, such as Ernest Hemingway, Gertrude Stein, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and Josephine Baker. As the 1920s progressed, there started to be a schism within data, with one part anti-art nihilism, and the other with less depth and more nonsensical frivolity. Some works seem to bridge both camps, such as Marcel Duchamp's ready-mades, which were found objects such as a bottle rack or a urinal, which became self-proclaimed works of art because Duchamp said so, thus shattering the debate whether art must be created from scratch or just found and repurposed. Indeed, critics of data were quick to point out its appropriation from other art movements, such as parodies of Futurism's explosive style of language in data manifestos, or cubist-like painting pastiches. However, parody and pastiche can only get you so far. By 1922, data in Paris was starting to fade, with the younger, newer acolytes, such as André Breton, deciding to take things in a different direction. Breton became the doyen of the new splinter group dubbed Surrealism, which was dedicated to a more positive direction than the nihilistic data. Breton alone seemed to decide which data-esque vestiges would survive into this new incarnation, as there would be more emphasis on the juxtaposition of unrelated objects within one work of art, strange dualities seen as perfectly normal, their combination igniting an inspirational spark in the viewer or reader. While data and surrealism coexisted for years together, sharing many of the same personnel and themes, like heavily overlapping Venn diagrams, it would be surrealism that would have the greater staying power and influence in the art world, with André Breton's iron-fisted judgment lending more coherency than data ever had. One gets an interesting glimpse into the mindset of the Paris dataists in the Woody Allen film Midnight in Paris. In one scene where Owen Wilson's character Gill has been magically transported from present day to 1920s Paris, he meets three data artists, Salvador Dali, Man Ray, and Louis Buñuel. When Gill explains that he's actually from the future, Man Ray doesn't bat an eye, casually explaining, Exactly correct. You inhabit two worlds. So far, I see nothing strange. And that would have been perfectly normal in the world of data. The Dilettante, part of the Fairchrome Podcast Network.